told to pause. Wait, we're not ready. Right, um, so uh, probably you know this by now because you're sick to the death of the sight of me, but I am Becky, just in case anyone's new this morning. My name is Becky. Um, I'm on the leadership team. I'm privileged to be the mother of four children. I'm privileged to be a teacher, which I love. In my spare time, I go to the toilet on my own. Um, LAUGHTER and other, other exciting things. Anyway, so um, we, we're, um, we're in the middle of a series in Oasis at the moment um, based on this book, The Jesus Lifestyle, which is written by Nikki Gumbel, um, leader of Holy Trinity Brompton uh, in London. And uh, he has written a really helpful guide to basically Jesus' words and the Sermon on the Mount. Very, very, probably his most, Jesus' most famous words. And we're going through it bit by bit, just as the book does. So we're using the book, we're using the chapters of the book to help us. And today, our topic and our chapter from this book is how to handle money. Because we've got to the bit in, um, in the Sermon on the Mount that Jesus spoke in Matthew 6. We've got to Matthew 6, verse 19 to 24, which we're going to read um, in a moment. Uh, if you want, I've put Bibles out. I, I'm hoping, oh, it's there. Look, ta-da. Um, that is the sum total of my PowerPoint for this morning on account of the uh, last minuteness. So uh, forgive me, but what better thing to have than Scripture? So that's fine. Much better than my words. Um, so we're going to have that in front of us. But if you'd like it in front of you in, in the Bible, it's in uh, Matthew 6. It's chapter, uh, chapter 6, verse 19 to 24. Um, we are going to read that in a minute. But first, right off the bat, can I say, with a talk entitled How, How to Handle Money, that we need to clear up the fact God neither needs your money nor wants you to be without. And I don't know which of those you need to hear more this morning, but they're both equally true. God neither needs your money nor wants you to be without. Um, let's read the passage, and then, uh, and then we'll dig into it and find out why. Okay, would someone else like to read it? <laughs> save, save me uh, some voice this morning. Thank you. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, Thanks, Ruth. Brilliant. Um, and I think, for me, the absolute nugget here is right in the middle. Could we go back to verse 21, please, Caroline? Um, just before that. Sorry, it's, oh, it's across two screens. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And I think the rest of this wrapped around it is a bit of an explanation of that and some help with that. But that is the nugget this morning. Um, I said at the beginning, God neither needs your money nor wants you to be without. If we have any time, um, sorry, if we have any true concept of God, if we have any true concept of his majesty, of the awesome power and sovereignty that he holds, of who he is, then to think that he would need or want our money 
um, is pretty ludicrous, actually, isn't it? If we stop and think for a, money, for, a, for a moment. As if the God of all things couldn't do anything he likes with or without our bit of cash. He really absolutely can, and he absolutely doesn't have any need for it to achieve his plans or purposes. And secondly, of course, if he is the almighty God of all things, actually, is it actually our money? He's the God of all things. It's all his anyway. So to think that um, this is going to be about him wanting our money, wanting money from us, is, is going to be wrong. He has no need for our money or our possessions. But if it's so unnecessary to God, then why does Jesus talk about it? And in fact, not just here, but loads elsewhere in Scripture. He talks about it almost more than anything else. That is the nugget. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And that, I think, is why Jesus is talking about it. As ever with God, it's all about our heart inclination. That's what he's concerned with. That's what he cares about. And it's about his eternal perspective. It's our heart inclination, and it's his eternal perspective. Jesus understands um, the power that money and material things bought with money can have. Somebody described it, Nikki Gumbel quotes um, somebody else who described it as affluenza, which I quite liked. Um, you know, maybe we, we're sitting here and we think, well, we, we don't chase big bucks. You know, I don't chase after the big bucks. I, you know, I just do this, that or the other. I, I'm not really that under the power of money. But do we maybe succumb to wanting a certain dress or jacket or a, a, dining, room, a dining room just like so-and-so? Or, um, you know, do we have a browse and right move to see what we could live in if only we had, you know, X amount more? Those are all demonstrations of the power that money can begin to have on us. This is evidence of money's pull, isn't it, on our, on our heart, on our inclinations, on our priorities. Not that having money is bad. I think Naomi said this when she was talking about giving. Having money per se is not bad. That is not what the Bible or Jesus here is saying, and it isn't in the Bible. <coughs> that can be a misunderstanding that people have. Jesus is only once recorded telling someone to give everything away. I think a lot of people come to faith or maybe just look at Christians from the outside and think, oh, if you become a Christian, you've got to give all your money away to the poor or whatever. Uh, you might, and that is wonderful. But it is not um, true that having money per se is bad. Jesus once recorded, is recorded as saying that, and that was to the, uh, the rich young guy who came to him and said, I've done this, I've done that, I follow the rules, I do this, done that, you know, what else must I do? And Jesus says, you must go and sell all your, all your possessions and give them. Um, it's not totally explicit there, but I don't think that that is anything to do with money being bad. That is to do with Jesus discerning what the issue was in the man's heart. And the issue was, yes, you've done all those things, but money still has a greater hold on your heart and your love than I do, than your love for me, than your love for God and his kingdom. And so if you want to be free of that, you've got to be free of the money because that's got a hold on you. Others um, in the Bible, uh, in Scripture, continue to be wealthy even after they've met G with Jesus and, and followed, started to follow him. Um, there's Joseph of Arimathea. There's, um, Jesus himself actually was supported by wealthy women. It says that in Luke uh, chapter 8, verse 1 to 3. It mentions those women that were supporting him who were wealthy women. He didn't say, you know, you mustn't be wealthy to follow me. They were supporting him. So it's not... 
um, that money per se is bad. Some people may make money to invest in the kingdom. Nicky quotes a friend of his who felt called to do that, to work in finance, called by God in order to fund loads of wonderful things in God's kingdom. And he lived, chose to live modestly, but work in finance and actually be very wealthy potentially, but channel it all into God's kingdom. God may call some to do that. Saving and using money to provide for our families um, or our friends perhaps sometimes is not bad either. In fact, actually, in Timothy, 1 Timothy 5 verse 8, it, it says it's our duty and if we don't do it, we're worse than the pagans. Um, so definitely looking after people, providing for them, that is godly and scriptural. Saving a lump sum might also mean that you've got a lump sum when God suddenly goes, do you know what? There's that need over there. I want you to take that lump sum you've saved and that's going to suddenly provide for this whole problem that's going on there that needs this injection of funds. That's what God does sometimes. So saving in itself is not wrong. Um, and actually, scandalous, it's not wrong to enjoy good things. It's not scriptural to be miserable <laughs> um, in, and, and be poor and be miserable. Um, Jesus went to a lavish wedding in Cana. He made it more lavish. Abraham, in the Old Testament, often wealth was seen um, as a sign of God's blessing. Um, that's not, I'm not saying that's necessarily always the case, but um, it is not scriptural that it is bad to enjoy good things in life. God blesses us. He's an abundant God. He has more than enough. He's a God of joy um, and grace and provision. So we are able um, to enjoy the good things in life. But again, it's all about what that does to our heart, isn't it? It's all about where our heart is with God in that. Um, so two people at the same party could be in completely different situations spiritually within their heart, if that makes sense. So they're enjoying the same abundance of food, wine, whatever. God could look on them, I think, completely differently because it's all about their heart. It's all about your heart. Um, so making money, saving money, enjoying the good things in life um, are not wrong of themselves. But Jesus has a very stark warning here. Um, and what it is, is about the danger of the love of money. Um, that's what mammon, which is the word that's used, that he uses here, it, um, is, it apparently means. It's not money per se, it's the love of money. And it's the love of money, the inclination towards it, the pull of it on us that Jesus is warning us about. So there's some, there's some practical things. Um, firstly, Jesus says right at the beginning, doesn't he, that money and possessions don't last. So it's pretty logical, actually, that maybe it's not a great idea to invest our whole self in them, to invest our priorities in them. Our time is short, actually, isn't it? We feel that as we get a bit older. And, uh, and, and when sad things happen, people around us um, pass we feel, we realize how short our time is. Let's not allow precious time to be wasted focusing on things that don't last. Focusing on them. We can have them, yeah, sure, but let's not waste our time focusing on getting them, having more of them, whatever, when they don't last. Moth and rust destroy them. Thieves break in and steal them. We don't get to take them when we go. They're of no eternal use whatsoever. You can't pack a bag for heaven. We've been um, renovating uh, at home for pretty much as long as I can remember because um, we bought a very old house. And um, 
that involves endless decisions and choosing and, uh, and so on. And is it, is it godly to make my home welcoming to family, friends and strangers? Yes, it is. Is it, does it, is it eternally important? Is it, yes, it is. Is it eternally important which colour cushions I have in my lounge? No, it's not. So at some point with all of these things, I have to rein myself in and think, okay, it's wonderful to make a welcoming home. That's godly. That has some eternal value perhaps in welcoming strangers, in being hospitable, things that are scriptural. Actually, does it matter whether I have that curtains or those curtains or those curtains? Will that change someone's eternal life? Probably not. So I need to just rein myself in and make sure that's not getting too much of a grip on me. Um, Secondly, after the pragmatism, I think, Jesus speaks to our hearts and our spirits. So firstly, he says, actually, it's not logical to invest yourself in these things because they just get rusty and break and thieves steal them. Secondly, think about your heart and your spirit. When we invest in God and his kingdom, we gain things of eternal value. So, um, sorry, can you flick back, please, Caroline, to the um, earlier part, the first bit of the passage? Uh, No, sorry, the next bit. Yeah, so, well, it's verse 21 again anyway, really. Where Where our treasure is, there our heart will be. But also, he says, I'm just looking at, sorry, I'm... I've lost that bit. But anyway, we're to invest in the, in the eternal things because those go beyond. We'll live with the joy of those forever. I will live with the joy of my curtains for, I don't know, probably about 10 minutes and then there'll be a distraction and I'll need to do something else. I might come down the next morning and go, oh, I'm, I'm glad I chose those curtains. They just fit right in the room. But that will last a very minimal amount of time. The joy that we will gain, this treasure that we're storing up in heaven that it, Jesus doesn't explicitly explain, but that will last forever. That is a joy when we invest in it that will be something that brings us joy forever in eternity and way beyond the joy of the new whatever jacket or pair of curtains or new TV. Um, We're saved when we believe and trust in Jesus because of what he's done. So this is not about earning our way into heaven when, when when Jesus is saying, store up for yourself riches in heaven. He's not saying you've got to earn your way in. We're saved when we believe and trust in him. But there is something that he doesn't fully explain here, isn't there, that is going to be good and more so if we have invested in it in heaven than if we don't. We don't quite understand what that fully means at this stage. But what is investing in God's kingdom? What is that? How do we store ourselves riches in heaven? What is that all about? Well, it might be financial, like the guy who chose to work in finance in order to invest literally financially in God's kingdom, to put money into different things that were going on, different churches or missions or whatever. It might be, but it may well not be. It might be parenting. That is investing in God's kingdom. It might be caring for the elderly. It might be helping a neighbor. It might be as simple as helping your friend with something. That might be of eternal value, and in which case investing might be investing in God's kingdom. As I said, verse 21, that nugget, that that core thing, where we invest, well, that's where our heart inclines. And Jesus goes on to talk about this um, idea about the eyes and the lamp. 
about fixing our eyes in the right direction. I think physically there's an application here in terms of literally what do we look at? What do I spend the most time looking at? Do, we spend, do I spend my time endlessly browsing the internet or through catalogues or whatever? Or reading my Bible? How much proportionally do my eyes look at things I could buy as opposed to how much they look at scripture? Or a Woman Alive magazine or something that's going to feed me or have eternal value in some way. But also there's like a spiritual metaphor to it, isn't there? That it's not just physically what do we put our eyes on, but spiritually, what do we set our eyes on? You know, we say, but we have a phrase, don't we? We set our sights on something. What have we set our sights on? Have we set our sights on something of God's kingdom? Have we set our sights on God or greed? What do we spend our time planning what God might want to do with us next, what we might do for the kingdom, or in the kingdom next, or our new extension. If we're looking to the wrong things, our hearts will incline towards them. Whatever we're looking at, our hearts will incline that way, whether we really meant to choose that or not. And Jesus says here very clearly, that way is darkness, when that's the wrong things. If your eyes are unhealthy, if you're looking at the wrong things, if your eyes are set your sights are set on the wrong things, that is unhealthy and your whole body will be full of darkness because there's a, there's a sort of whole, whole being impact of where we put our focus and how great that darkness is. So let's fix our eyes on Jesus. Hebrews says that, doesn't it? Let's fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. Let's have him as our single-minded where our eyes are set as our main desire, as our top priority. Lastly, in the passage, Jesus uses quite a stark image. So in the last few verses, he talks about slavery. Obviously, it was a current thing for them. Um, and he uses a stark image. A slave can't have, can't serve two masters. It'd be ludicrous. You're owned by your slave master. You can't be owned by two, two things or two people. And either you will hate one and love the other or you'll be devoted to one and despise the other. Jesus knows how conflicted we get and how conflicted we will be if we don't fix our eyes on him. And he's clear here that money and materialism, love of money, wanting more money, wanting things, can become like a master and we can end up like a slave when we give it priority, we must save a bit more, we must earn a bit more, must get a better job, must go and do this, must push, must scrimp, must budget, must do. It's like a slave. And, and I know there's a lot of people driven by that, but also crushed by that, particularly, I think, in Western society at the moment, in England, here, around us. There's, um, there's a quote from Dietrich Bonhoeffer, um, who I'm just going to find the actual quote who says, who Nicky, Nicky Gumbel quotes um, Bonhoeffer, saying, our hearts have room only for one all-embracing devotion and we can only cleave to one Lord. We can't go both ways. Preciously, God has given us a will, hasn't he? And whether we realize it or not, only we can choose what we surrender it to, to what we surrender it to. It's incredible that he's given us that, really. Um, it's incredible that he's given us the option not to choose him, not to choose what's best for us. Um, 
but we have been given that option. And whether or not we realize it, whether that happens consciously or not, we, only we will choose what we surrender our will to. And if we don't make a conscious choice, we make an unconscious one. So perhaps um, that's something to think about this morning, where we're making unconscious choices accidentally, that we don't really intend. The intention of our heart is, is different, but we're slipping into unconscious choices. And perhaps something that's, that's something we can think about. So in our attitude to money, to handle it, how do we handling it well? I think the first thing that we have to do, and I count fully myself in this, is examine our hearts. Because we've seen it's not, Jesus isn't really on about money per se. He's on about our hearts. He's talking about where our heart is at, where our inclination is. And so the first thing we can do is to look at our hearts and where we're at. If you're not sure, look at what you spend your time on. Look back over your day or your week or your last evening or whatever. What did you spend your time on? What did you make time for? We make time for the things that are important to us, inevitably, in the end. Um, and so if you're not sure where your priority lies, or you think it lies one way, just have a look over your last week. Does your week seem to show that it lies there, that your priorities are what you think they are? We can look at what we give, like Naomi Gady was talking to us about when she spoke about giving. It's not necessary for God. He has no needs for our funds. It's a measure of where we're at. It's a measure of our devotion. It's a measure of our devotion to him, and it's a measure of our trust in him to provide. If I give that away, do I trust him that I will be okay, that he will provide? Um, I genuinely think God doesn't care how much money you do or don't have. If that is causing a barrier between you and him because you don't have enough and you struggle to trust him for that or because you're chasing after more, then I think he cares very, very deeply and that's what this um, passage is about. God is our good shepherd, isn't he? And he's our Jehovah Jireh. And um, if your situation is one of need this morning, then he really does want to show his ability to provide um, there are also things at church, um, there's a, uh, a debt fund and people that are, would love to help if you're struggling. Um, but God also, and more than that, and beyond that, can provide. And maybe this morning is for you solely about being um, knowing from him specifically that he can provide for you and he will. And he is your Jehovah Jireh if you put your trust in him. Um, he also knows what's best for our hearts. And if money and possessions are a barrier, he is passionately jealous for the affections of our heart and keenly aware more than any of us of the damage that that pull of money can do to us and the darkness that greed can bring. So we, to handle money well, I think, is simply to handle it like this, to hold it loosely whatever we have, whether we've got loads or whether we've got not very much, we can break the hold of money by holding it loosely, by uh, allowing for the fact that God gives and God takes away, that he's our provider, that he loves us, and by holding all things that he gives us, actually, that are all from him at the end of the day, in a, an open hand that says, okay, God, 
It's lovely that I've got that right now. I thank you for that blessing, but it's yours to take away and it doesn't have a hold over me. I don't need to, I don't need to grip it. Um, giving can help us with that. If we feel like money's got a bit too much of a grip on us, give some away. Um, that is a way of uh, an action of speaking the words in action. You don't have a hold on me money. I trust the Lord. I trust him to provide for me. And actually, we get the blessing also of having given something, seeing what blessing that gives to someone else. But, but it also is a statement, isn't it, of where our heart's at. Um, and that's the last point, isn't it, that we don't need to seek money. We don't need to serve it because we have a God who is awesome, who provides, who is well able, who is faithful and doesn't leave us who is our good shepherd, who doesn't leave us in lack, and who is the Lord of all things, so has power and control over all things and is enabled to bring us and provide for us in ways we can't ask or imagine. Um, we had a, a little moment this week um, in my family. My husband um, is a, a lawyer, and uh, you've probably seen in the news that the collapse of Thomas Cook, that British travel institution, um, Lots of people stranded, really awful, and lots of people presumably at Thomas Cook losing jobs and, and so on. Um, actually, he does, my husband does, has done a lot of work um, actually against Thomas Cook uh, as a, for insurers, on behalf of insurers, for people that have had terrible experiences on holiday and things. And um, that's part of what he does in his law practice. And uh, so as a result of Thomas Cook collapsing, there's actually a lot of money <laughs> that he won't now receive in payment for work he's already done, for cases already gone by. So that gives you a moment, doesn't it? That gives you an opportunity to go, okay, that's lots of money. Do we panic? Do we stress? Do we quite try and get more? Or do we just go, we know you've always provided God. We know that you will provide. We trust you for our finance. We trust you for our future. Um, our, in, our, our future is eternal anyway, not in the here and now. So we put it in your hands and we let you sort it out and you provide. Those kind of situations aren't easy, but they're an opportunity to see where your heart's at and to see if you can hold that with an open hand. Um, because he gives everything. He gave that job. He gave those, you know, and he, he can choose to take them away as he pleases. Um, but do we trust him to then provide for us? Um, that is all about where our heart is at. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So let's just make our treasure in the right place this morning. Um, I'm going to give us a minute to have a little think about what uh, the Holy Spirit might be putting his finger on this morning for us. Um, and it'll be different for everyone, but he will have something specific to, to, to talk to you about this morning. Um, so we're going to have a little bit of quiet so that we can have a space to think. Um, and then I've just saved a couple of songs that we can sing in response. Um, and if, if it's about you trust in God again that he will provide. You can come to him with that. If it's about, actually, I recognize that money's got a bit of a pull on me. I worry too much about that or I want too much of that or whatever. You can bring that to God this morning and we can just try and make these songs our commitment to putting him as our first priority in all things. So let's do that. We'll have a moment. <laughs>